Welcome to Pos Vibe Podcast, a podcast for people living with HIV, their friends, family, and allies. Here are your hosts, Veda and Robbie. Data, we are back for a new episode of the Pause Vibe Podcast. How are you getting on? Welcome back, listeners. I'm doing great. I'm running out of time here in Sydney, and I'm having the time of my life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm trying to pack it all in. We really surpassed all expectations, didn't yeah. we? We surpassed and suppressed. Yeah. <laughs> We're virally sup- surpassed. We're virally, virally surpassed. surpassed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we have been at the Human Rights Conference yes. for the last two days and my mind has been blown, I say, 50 times. They blew my mind and they blew my mate's yeah. mind <laughs> as well. Well, there's so many beautiful people at this conference. They really are. Such an amazing, you know, variety. Talk about representation. The diversity. Incredible people. queer people from all over the world. Beautiful mm-hmm. people. Yeah. All shapes and sizes and flavours. Mm-hmm. It's been amazing. Annie Stando. I don't know, pieces of advice or moments that have stuck out with you? Well, first standout thing was the after show party, I'm calling it, last (laughs) night, which was so fun. We are professional smoochers. We are. We smooch the world. We go in and you're like, you take right, I take left. I was talking to some human rights lawyer, someone in the Home Affairs office. Yeah, I was just talking to the hotties. Yeah. (laughs) Keep it shallow, keep it pretty, keep it moving, as Viv would say. Yes, well, it's good advice to go by. Uh Uh-huh. Um, So what kind of uh, nuggets of advice did you like, did you pick up? Well, today we were at a panel about HIV and ending HIV transmission. And I guess on a personal note, one of the things that made me feel good, you know, because I travel around with this genius who knows an awful lot about HIV and has worked in this field for so long, and I'm more like the new girl at school in these situations. Something that that Didi from Indonesia, from... um, from the Gay Trustee Foundation Indonesia said that really rang out to me and made me feel better, which was uh, when he read the doctors almost immediately and said, you know, that people living with HIV and the people who work with the community know a lot more about HIV than the doctors Mm -hmm. who are the so-called experts. And I thought, that's me, Didi, that's me, you know, the lived experience plus the using your ears as well as your mouth to communicate, Mm -hmm. really listening to people and really taking on board what they're telling you. And that made me feel a little bit more empowered and a little bit more confident to use my voice when we were networking. And Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful to DD for that. What about you, babe? Um, So I'm gonna go back to yesterday with the opening remarks with the UN Special Rapporteur on LGBTQIA plus rights. And he said two things that really stood out to me. Well, loads, it was like a 20 minute speech, right? So it was brilliant. But one that really stood out to me as an activist, and I think it res- uh, resonated with many people there, was self-care is a political act. Oh yeah, I loved that as well. Wasn't that amazing? It's a weakness for me too, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm quite reckless and hedonistic, shall we say. Um, yeah, so I really have to think about that and mm-hmm. work on that. But like, I-, I think it resonated with me because, it, well, it just makes sense, doesn't it? If you're born out and you're just crawling through your activism, you're not used to no one, really, yeah. or yourself. And there's no uh, longevity in what we do. So actually taking the time, saying no to projects and understanding our indicators of Borneo is a political act. I just love it. It just makes sense to me. Speaking of which, 
we were talking about this with regard to self-care. Um, the other day, um, I was going to go with Robbie to the Gaelic Club to do a screening party for the Kylie opening Minogue. of yes. World Pride, the oh, wow. Kylie Minogue concert, essentially. And I just wasn't feeling it. I had a sty in my eye, a little rash on my chin, and I was thinking, <laughs> I'm going to be one ugly drag queen today. And I just felt a bit depressed. I've been having a bit of bouts of depression lately, and I decided to not go well not to do drag anyway and um and robbie of course he picked up the mantle and took care of the business for us but i um, wasn't in drag thank god <laughs> thank god for everyone involved for sure but um but then the universe rewarded me because i was sitting around wondering what i was going to do with my evening when i got a phone call from my good friend dj sveta who's a superstar dj here in sydney and she had already called Loretta, who was our boss, essentially, at the Sydney Queer Irish, to say that I'm stealing Veda and taking her to see Kylie Minogue. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't just that she got me a ticket, she got me a HIVIP ticket. I was yeah. like 10 rows away from Kylie and Danny Minogue. see the sweat on her face. It yeah. was unreal. And I really felt like the universe rewarded me for for rewarding myself, for giving Mm -hmm. myself a little bit of self-care. So in terms of what we're talking about, folks, I think it's good advice. Be good to yourselves. The other thing that the uh, UN Rapporteur really stood out to me was, um, he said when he took up the the mantle or the portfolio, that he was going to do it under a feminist and anti-racism agenda. And he's going to look at it through an intersectional lens. And we can say that and say it in nice flowery words, but he was actually saying how, you know, gender-based violence is a huge um, reason that uh, HIV is exacerbated around the world, especially um, uh, in a household where there's gender-based violence. Um, the woman is like 50 times more likely to contract HIV than not. Um, and uh, we know that racism is a huge part of um, of um, the HIV response, whether it's institutionalized racism, which we see in our intellectual property regime, or if it's about um, you know women in Ireland who don't want to come out about their status because of fear of racism. So it could be on the micro or macro level. Um, so it just kind of it was just not a reminder because it's something that I always knew and tried to work through. But it was just so nice to see it at the top echelons, really being at the, like the, the reason behind what they do. Um, one more thing I'd like to get out that we learned today. I love to get it out, folks. Was um, we were we were at the same panel, the HIV panel, and there was this fabulous person there called Mish Pony, mm-hmm. and Mish is the chief executive officer of the Scarlet Alliance, which is Australian Sex Worker Alliance. And Mish said that in countries where there, where sex work is somewhat legalized. Um, you are seven times less likely to become HIV positive than in countries where sex work is criminal. criminal. Mm -hmm. So I hope that a lot of governments and government representatives get to hear about that and know that soon because Mm -hmm. that statistic blew my mind. Jason Rosenberg from ACT UP New York, who's just an absolute amazing guy, great activist, but he said, do you know treatment as prevention, T-A-S-P? Um, is what we say, so it means you equals you. So we use that in terminology um, in the policy world. He was like, why don't we use decriminalization as prevention? Because it is prevention, whether it's around drug use, uh, or it's around sex work. We know when we regulate it, that there's much, much, um, you're much less likely to contract HIV. Listen, we're talking about intersectionality uh, and the importance to have voices from many different people and to hear the stories and experiences. And I'm really excited to bring in um, my new best friend, 
I only met you, but we already have a Kiki going. Uh, Steve Spencer, how are you going? Hello. Hey, Steve Spencer! Da 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 da! Fun, laugh, good times! Hi, Steve. Oh, that's my new ringtone. It is! Again, while I record it. We will. I need that. Just listen back at the podcast. Okay, you know, good. Yeah. John, I'll snip it right out. I'm, I'm doing good. Well, Pride is just. Just a whirlwind, yes. right? But then as soon as you think the tornado's gone, there's another one coming. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah, I survived the first two weeks, one more week left. And it's just been, for me personally, just a journey where I get to be my full self. Just yeah. everything that makes up who I am. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I'm wearing like my pos hat. Sometimes I'm wearing my bisexual hat. Sometimes I'm just wearing my, my ho hat. And this whole world pride has just been all of them stacked on top of each other. Ah, yay! <laughs> and that sort of sums me up, just very delicately balancing myself. I'm not mm. sure how this hat pile is keeping on top of each itself, but it is. It's the chin strap. It's, <laughs> it's the chin, <laughs> it's it is a strong chin, chin strap. strap. Yeah, gin exactly. and a chin strap. Oh, yeah. gin yeah. and a chin strap. Yeah, so Amazing. that's been getting me through, but it's been wonderful. Mm. So yeah, you've really caught me at such a really beautiful time for not just me, but like the whole community has been so I good. feel like every queer person in Sydney is on their last tread at the moment because it's just taken so much out of us. I'm on my 10th win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie has wind as well. Veda, we're telling everyone today. <laughs> I'm on the chamomile tea. Let it blow, let it blow. <laughs> so, uh, Steve, as you said, you are a bisexual man. Yes. Um, what's life like in Sydney as a bisexual man? Um, it's fantastic. Like, it's actually really good because I see how life is like as a bisexual man elsewhere. And I see how lucky we have it here in Sydney. There are so many community events. There are so many community organizations. There are so many um, people and places and um, just different organizations that I can link up with and feel that I can have a community. And I can just go an hour south to Melbourne and there's very little of that. Mm -hmm. So here in Sydney, we've got such a a groundswell of of a bisexual community, even though the community is just as large everywhere else in this country and everywhere else around the world. Um, That's wild. Yeah, so I feel lucky. But um, then at the same time, I've got that bi community, but then being also um, gay and queer community connected, it's an incredibly lonely place. It's an an incredibly um, difficult place to be a bisexual man. And so feeling very lucky and grateful, but then also, you know, there's still so much, so much more, so much, we can do so much better. And it's, and it's actually so easy to get there. There are not very many bi out guys in Dublin for example, and most of the bi guys that I meet are faceless or headless profiles yeah. on Grinder or Scruff. I can't actually think of someone to my shame who, you know, is a close friend of mine or someone that is part of our scene. Mm. Yeah. And that's really, really sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know yeah. more by women Me too. than I know more by men. Yeah. Um, but, like, uh, I hear quite often about, like, there's so much erasure of the bi experience in the queer community, the overall queer community, and yet, like, it's it's been there for <laughs> as long as we can like imagine. So, yep. um, we, I, I I imagine if we're talking about the feminist agenda here, you know, um, for a man and like a cis man to like both genders, do you know what I mean? It could be like for I think, gay men, it can be quite, I don't know, is it kind of triggering if there's someone who could probably. Be um be with heterosexual women as well as come uh, be with men as well, in a way. And because like I, the reason why I say this, let me backtrack, is because when I was younger, I had a chat with my friend who's a gay man, and he said, "Bis, I don't believe bisexuality exists. 
right? And you probably hear that quite often. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, it's just a stepping stone into being straight. Oh, I'd be, oh no, my God. <laughs> oh no, my no, no, God. no, no, no. I'm glad you made that point. A stepping stone into being straight. So I came out as gay at 13, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I recognized my attraction to people of the same gender. Went to a therapist. They said, you're attracted to other boys. That means you're gay. Um, told people around me, that means you're gay. And so I came out of gay really young. And everyone views being bisexual, for men especially, as a stepping stone to being gay. Yeah. So for me, because I came out of gay, as gay at quite a young age, and then realised, well, came to terms with my bisexuality in my 20s, I'm like, wait, is it a stepping stone to me being straight? Because my pink thongs don't, don't scream straight. <laughs> uh, you know, my, my connection to the gay community doesn't scream straight. Yeah. It, it, you know, the fact that I sort of exist as someone who came out as gay really young and then came into my bisexuality and I'm very, very confident in my bisexuality now mm-hmm. just goes to show there's no such stepping stone. It's a destination. Mm-hmm. It's a destination for every bisexual. And, you know, especially amongst gay men, they might have found protection under a bi label for yeah. when they were younger for like a couple of years um, because of some misconstrued idea that um, being bi is more acceptable. Whereas as a bisexual, we know that it's actually far less acceptable. And bisexual people um, view the world differently to, to gay people and straight people. So, um, In what way? Well, so gay people and straight people might see, uh, look at the spectrum. Say this Kinsey scale. There's, mm-hmm. there's gay, there, there's gay and on... Gay on one end, straight on one end, and, um, you know, bi everywhere in the middle. And lots of people fall into that little space. Um, uh, But the way that bi people see the world is monosexual and bisexual. People that are attracted to one gender, which is the majority, which is the accepted straight people, gay people afforded rights now, especially here in Australia. That is not a global statement. For sure, homosexual people... Uh, where they're minorities and where they don't have rights around the world have a lot to fight for. But here in the Australian context, monosexuality is the privileged and bisexuality, which includes all multi-gender attraction, we're the freaks. We're, we're not accepted, even though um, we're the largest portion of the LGBTIQ plus mm-hmm. community. We make up at least 60% here in Australia of the LGBTIQ wow. plus community are bisexual. And then of that group, and the, you made a point before that you know mostly bi women, right? Yeah. And I'm the same. And at every bi party, every bi group I'm a part of, the majority of women, about 60% of out bi people are women. Only 30% are bi men. Um, and being an out bi guy in the gay community, I have countless, I kid you not, every weekend one or two guys coming up to me at whatever house party I'm at, whatever kiki I'm at, the Kylie concert, a guy who's out as gay will come up to me and be like, you know what, Steve, I've, I've seen you. But, you know, I'm bi, you know, I've mm-hmm. had sex with women my entire life. I'm attracted to women, but I just don't feel like I can come out. And I know wow. just by analogy, but by my own experiences, there's just a sea of bi men out there. And that 30%, like, there, there's no reason for that other than a social reason for that, because it's unacceptable to be a bisexual man. And so until we fix biphobia and fix bi-erasure, especially male bi-erasure, you know, there's just, there are just these bi men in both the straight and the gay communities in the monosexual world um, where they find safety, you know. Um, the only time I've ever been bashed, physically assaulted for my sexuality was by a gay man. Wow. And so it's not safe for us. And so we find safety in the hetero world. We find safety in the gay world as gay, as straight, where, when we're actually bisexual. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so until we actually make that these spaces acceptable, mm-hmm. um, we won't see that 30% actually get to the 50%, which is what it should be. And then we'll actually see that out, that 60% number of the mm-hmm. LGBTIQ plus community, you'd find that way, way, way more than that are actually multi-gender attracted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I use terms like bisexual and bi and everything, but I also like to use the term bi plus. Uh, and bi plus is an umbrella term, and that's inclusive of bisexuality, pansexuality, Definitely. omnisexuality, Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, hetero flexibility, homo flexibility, all these things. Mm-hmm. Multi gender attraction is such a huge thing, and it's mm-hmm. experienced by so many people. And um, it, and it's funny, you're trying to explain multi gender attraction to someone who is very firmly monosexual is so difficult. Yeah. Just, how can you be attracted to multiple multiple genders? Like, mm-hmm. how how does that actually happen? And I don't know how. It's just who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's just who I am. Mm-hmm. And and then like another thing I get, especially because I'm in the gay community. Um, you know, gr- grew up as gay quite young, um, and I'm very not ashamed at all of my flair or my softness. And um, a lot of people, the the main thing that people told me when I came out as bi in my twenties was, "What kind of woman would date you? Like, what kind of woman would like you? Because you're so gay." And boy, I can I can show them what kind yeah. of woman <laughs> like, you know, it, it, you know, gay men, straight men, yeah, they don't actually understand what women like. like yeah, exactly. <laughs> they yeah. don't actually understand it, and you know, just you, you just have to live your life. I can really relate to a lot of what you're saying because I was, you know, pretty much middle-aged when I started to realize that I had multi-gender attraction. I'd always been what we call in Dublin the drag scene, we joke about me being a lesbian icon Mm -hmm. because lesbians really enjoy my drag. Mm -hmm. I think because it's very androgynous and my drag character, Theta, is quite strong and not not really... um, I don't parody women. Yeah. I really celebrate women. Yeah. And and I would have a lot of attraction for these gay women who seem to have a lot of attraction for me. But because of my drag character, I could put it all in that box and yeah. just say that's what it is. That Veda is a lesbian is what I used to say. Okay. But not really reconcile the fact that I'm Veda. <laughs> <laughs> and like that I'm a lesbian. <laughs> and it wasn't until a holiday in Fire Island and about ten or more years ago when I had a little fling with A with a trans man who I know is a man, folks, and also a, a few flirtations and some kissing with uh, with some gay women that I had to really just readdress that with myself mm, and yeah. say there's more to my sexuality than that and in a different set of circumstances I could probably live a very different life and I would imagine that's true for a lot a of, of queer I men all the time they would say if I had my time again and, and, and had that um, I don't want to use the word bravery because they're not un, they're, they're not, not being brave by not coming out because we just don't have a community that allows them to do that and that's mm-hmm. not an unbrave thing to actually come, be, to actually even be queer alone is an act of extraordinary bravery. Yeah. So you know, it, it's 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 not on the individual; it's on it's on society for us to be able to make it a safe space for us to come mm-hmm. out. And you know, I, I just tell every queer man, um, every bi man, any man that experiences multi-gender attraction, you know, life is better out of the closet. You know, yes. as queer people, we know that as a, as a true statement, life is better out of the closet. There will be difficulties and hardships like in anything but I'm telling you yes I experienced biphobia yes I you know was physically assaulted all these sorts of things but I mean life is wonderful life is joyous I mm-hmm. I have a wonderful relationship with a man I have a wonderful relationship with a woman and mm-hmm. no I'm not polyamorous because I'm bisexual they are two separate things yeah. I'm a walking stereotype I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not greedy I just yeah. want everything yeah right? and that's not related to my sexuality you're manifesting baby the life is there to be lived and that's what I keep what, that's what I've always told people I was sitting in life's waiting room for so long yeah. and I was I was had those thoughts in my head going over what kind of woman would like you what kind of woman would like you and I just went well you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna bloody find out I'm gonna find out yeah and, and, what, and I found out what kind of women what kind of women do you like you just for fun oh can I tell bi women so that's yeah. a, that's the other thing the bi community is so huge and bi women understand what multi-gender attraction mm-hmm. is and, you know if you think about it they're attracted to masculinity and femininity mm-hmm. and so like 
the fact that I love RuPaul's Drag Race, just to throw more stereotypes out there, you know, I have a, a uh-huh. lip wrist, I have a, I have this voice, I have the so- I call it my softness. Right? You have a green mullet, babe. Yeah. <laughs> I also have a green mullet. You're an lesbian icon. You know, <laughs> and and you know, yeah, it, it's, it is more difficult dating heterosexual women just because that's that community is yeah. different. But there are so many queer women that love queer men. And we love them back, and and mm-hmm. it's just a world of opportunity. And I, I wish someone told me that. I think as uh, past people, we can really understand that, like mm-hmm. being on the fringe of a community that accepts you or does not accept you. Yeah. You know, just really um, wanting to cuddle up to those in their own community yeah. to protect them. The protective element is absolutely there. Yeah, exactly. And you also live with HIV. Yes. Well, yeah. Let's throw another. Yeah, yeah. Let's throw that <laughs> intersection on onto it. So I, this could be a three-hour podcast. <laughs> but, um, so. And you have a very interesting story, a story that we haven't, I haven't quite heard before. Do okay. you want to share with our listeners a bit more about you? All right, let me take you back to 2014. <laughs> Nixon was in the White House, no. Um, <laughs> no, who was uh, Obama? Um, and yeah, yeah, so um, this is actually around the time of the International AIDS Conference in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was young, I was um, defining my place in the queer community, and this big conference came into town and it took over everything. It was red everywhere, and there was such energy and these protests and... Um, art and, and all sorts of things. David McDermott, I went to a David McDermott um, exhibition that had a string quartet of um, his final partner who was a um, composer and composed a, a string and performed a, a string quartet um, about David's death. And to be surrounded by David's artwork, I, for your listeners, please look up David McDermott. Um, to be in there, something just hit my soul. And I went, all right, all right, I, I'm not just going to run through life and just not, not care about things and just get a desk job or whatever. I actually want to be part of this. And so um, this is around the time when PrEP was really coming up. And so me and a few friends got together, um, started an organization called PrEP Access Now because um, at the time there was a, a trial for PrEP and 126 people were on it. And I'm thinking, why aren't I on it? I'm having bareback sex. Um, I'm young, I need to be protected. It's mm-hmm. it, within arm's reach, how do we make it happen? So we established um, a global network of online pharmacies and um, drug producers. And uh, when the trial had 120 people, we had 2,000 people coming through our website <laughs> accessing PrEP. And we formed a model as well that, that was then um, copied globally mm-hmm. to help people access PrEP. And we had a scheme where um, for every two bottles we sold, we could give one away for free. So we're also the first organization to um, offer wow. PrEP for free to people. Offer it free to people in Australia, migrants who weren't under our um, pharmaceutical benefit scheme or Medicare ineligible. So, like, really, we, we, we just, it was a grassroots thing that for us was just important to show the government and also show established organizations in the HRV sector mm-hmm. that sometimes you need to get a hurry up. And we know that we would have um, avoided a lot of HIV transmissions during that period. And, um, you know, because of this huge grassroots effort, they then expand the trial to 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. And Australia now has, I, I think, believe, the highest per capita usage of PrEP in the world. Um, because we got started, we, we got on the ground, and we mm-hmm. showed them we want this, and we have to have it, we deserve it, it's our right. And that was really important. I know, like, I can only talk about New South Wales, mm-hmm. um, they're close to eliminating new HIV infections. Yes. Isn't that correct? Thanks to the work and the founding of this organization like yourself, we're in the presence of greatness. <laughs> no, it wasn't just me. There was a team of us. Of course. And then, yeah. of course, just, you know, um, having the larger organizations not turn us away and actually sneak us in the back door and say, you know, we can't give you direct funding, but, you know, 
here's a little kitty of money if you need to do a little advertising Amazing. campaign, these sorts mm-hmm. of things. You know, do you need help making this, these mm-hmm. posters? Do you need help doing these things? Um, and then, yes, yeah, so that was 2014. And then fast forward a few years, I'd moved to Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was diagnosed with HIV whilst on PrEP. And I was the seventh person in the world for that to happen to, the second person in Australia to happen that to. And needless to say, that was a huge shock. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sucked. Um, and... At the time of my uh, HIV transmission, um, I encountered all sorts of discrimination in healthcare settings. I encountered the usual HIV stigma, but not only that, because of my being the poster boy of PrEP, um, there really was no option for me to be able to hide my HIV status. As soon Mm -hmm. as someone found out that I was HIV positive because I had to disclose in a sexual setting or I told a friend, Mm -hmm. rumors could be a moral panic then, right? Or, you know, it wasn't just a journey. It wasn't just going to be my journey. I knew it was going to be a journey because thousands of people had trusted me to Mm -hmm. preach the gospel of prep. Uh, how, how on earth are we going to get through this? And so, you know, we had to be open about it and had to, had to make sure people felt okay about it, really stress that what happened is so extraordinarily rare, so extraordinarily unlikely. And do not count, do not think about what happened to me. Think about all of these thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. That it didn't happen to. That it didn't happen to. Look at the HIV rates. We are almost eliminating mm-hmm. HIV in Australia. Prep works. These, the prep works. And, and these are the stories that we really have to look at. Mm-hmm. And then also infuse that message when I was diagnosed, just to go, I, you know, I achieved an undetectable viral load in six weeks. Yeah. I had my first pill the day early. I was diagnosed. And yeah. isn't that a miracle? Wow. If you look at, at, the, at the story of HIV transmission globally, first pill, immediately after my diagnosis, undetectable in six weeks, move on with my life, like, we're, we're happy. And so for me to be able to say that, like, you know, the people were angry for me mm. because I was di- because I got HIV. People were upset. People were confused, and I just had to go. Don't worry, mm. you know I am going to live my life fine as a person living with HIV. Uh-huh. Prep works. Treatment works. Mm. We're lucky here as well, and you know life life is life is fine as a person living with HIV. You know it's 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 full of joy. I found a community, especially that mm. was just absolutely wonderful. I remember actually, um, I was on I went on a on a retreat. Um, the Positive Leadership Development Institute here in Australia, the PLDI, um, and I was their the most their youngest, the, the youngest ever pos baby to go on that retreat because I'd already worked in the HIV sector for a few years, and I'd mm-hmm. gone. I went on it after six months of um, six months of living with HIV, and normally they don't invite people for like four years after their mm-hmm. diagnosis. And I remember we were at a random golf course in the country on, our, on this retreat and we're walking back to the bus and it's a, just a diverse crowd where, you know, people of every age, every race, every gender, um, just walking onto this bus and a bunch of um, golfers were walking past. And I, I was thinking like, I wonder what these people think we're here to do. do. Like, mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, what, do they, what does this group of people have in common? And we were each other's best friend. We were family. And the one thing we have in common is not just the virus, but our experience of the virus and the compassion and the resilience that we have as people, the mm. love that we have as people with HIV, that's what we have in common. And so I feel blessed to, to have that. Mm-hmm. I feel that blessed to have that community. And did you feel angry at all yourself? You said people were angry for you. Were you angry for you? No, no, I could never let anger get the best of me, my God. That would be a very dark spiral to go down. I just, I just say the universe is playing a joke on me. So, you know, you're the protagonist in your own novel, right? Uh-huh. We're, all, we're all just the leading character in whatever TV show we're, we're living out. And I just went, that's my storyline. This is, this is just what's happened to me. What am I going to do with it? You know, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to get angry or am I going to do something about it? And I decided I'd rather do something about it that would 
you know, use my skills mm-hmm. and my experience to then to then help. But um, uh, what was actually more difficult at the time, I'd come out as bi only about three months before my diagnosis. Right. And so, like, I was having this personal sexual revolution. I'd just come out. Yes, I was facing difficulties, but I was, you know, finally, like, oh, I'm actually going to now embody the person who I've always meant to be. You know, I'd, I'd had sex with women my entire life on the down low. Um, I'd always been, I'd always known I was multi-gender attractive, but I didn't adopt, you know, my acceptance as being a bi man until that point. And then, like, in came this HIV diagnosis, and that set me just, like, right back into the closet. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to these, these, you know, workshops for that are ostensibly called for gay and bisexual men. <laughs> but, you know, I, I didn't, didn't get anything. I wasn't, you know, especially because of the violence I'd encountered um, as a bi man, the biphobia that I'd experienced within the gay community. And so being in a room full of gay men and with gay facilitators and that sort of stuff, I just felt, okay, I don't have, I don't have my mentors for my sexuality. I've got gay mentors who can help me with my HIV. Yeah. And I, so I was really developing well as a person living with HIV, but it took, it set my, my, like, my growth as a bi man off by, by years. And it took me quite a long time for me to actually get comfortable. Mm-hmm. There was no roadmap for me. There was mm-hmm. there was never a roadmap for me. There were no I had no bipos mentors. There was no one in the HIV sector that I could look up to, and everywhere that I was looking, you know, I couldn't see people that reflected my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could gain a lot from um, the gay gay male community of people living with HIV, um, and I also learned that I could gain a lot from the heterosexual male community living with HIV. I found some of my my closest pos brothers in the hetero groups. Really? Which, yeah, absolutely. That's a first for me to hear, really. It's, it, uh, the, the hetero guys living with HIV have just been amazing and mm-hmm. wonderful because they're actually the only group that acknowledge my attraction to women. They're yeah. the only ones that actually, that, that actually encourage my attraction to women. Mm-hmm. They're the only ones I can talk to about disclosure of my HIV status along with discussion around contraception. Mm-hmm. I can't have those conversations. Yeah around gay men. I remember I was running around, um, I saw you at the Montreal conference, AIDS, oh, um, AIDS yes, 2022. Yes. And I remember I was running around trying to find a condom and funny enough, there were no condoms at the HIV conference until like wow. day three, which I found was really odd. Yeah. And my gay friends are saying, what do you need a condom for? And I said, I don't want to get anyone pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and then it really struck them then. And they're like, oh yeah, because you're bi. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. the straight guys get it. The straight, straight guys know why I need a condom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, my, it has nothing to do with HIV. I've got an undetectable viral load, yeah. but I just don't want to get anyone pregnant. And so, you know, these are the conversations. And, you know, if I want to look, I do want to have a family one day. I do want to have mm-hmm. my own children. And so I've met the most wonderful straight dads, um, you know, just a, a community of really empathetic guys, um, mm-hmm. you know, across, across the board. But I've been really lucky to find that. But also I've helped a lot of these guys within the hetero groups. Um, realize their own multi-gender attraction as well and um, overcome their own mm-hmm. their own sort of shame around may, perhaps maybe not how they got HIV but around their attraction and because they've come from you know if we want to use society because you know, they've come from broader society hetero society yeah. um, and that's the label and the identity they want to use mm-hmm. um, you know it, it, it'll take a bit of time but sort of to tell them it's yeah. you know bisexual men exist yeah to actually tell them that and for them to go actually you're you know you're right that's why we say in campaigning gay and bi men and other men who have sex with men i know and i know we all taking a deep breath <laughs> it's almost like we work so hard for these like in, well, inclusive i'm using them in quotations um uh, kind of titles or you know identities and then you're just taken away but there are people's experiences 
where they may have sex with men every so often, but they just do not identify as bi or gay and don't want to be seen on the spectrum in any way either. Yeah, definitely. How and do you feel about that expression, mm-hmm. other men who have sex with men? So I have an issue, okay, so like gay gay and bisexual men and other men have sex with men or men who have sex with men and all, you know, all those sorts of groupings. Um, I find it very difficult and I find it really upsetting because it... Um, it bunches a group of very unique experiences together. Um, and, it, and it bunches them together in a really problematic way because if we look at, say, how we're allocating resources in our HIV responses, right, um, we look at this giant column of um, gay, bi, and other men who have sex with men and the, the mountain of resources that have been allocated, so we think, oh, they're fine. Um, we, we, you know, we don't have to pay too much attention to them. They're already at the 95, 95, 95 of the UN goals. Mm. So, you know, we're, we're, you know, now we have to focus on other groups, other, other priority groups. But as soon as you take bisexual men out of that group, you will see they are at the bottom of the rung. We have the worst social and health outcomes of any male cohort, worse than heterosexual men. We have the worst, worst outcomes of any male co- cohort. And I just think that's amazing. You know, if we're if we're bunching bisexual men with gay men, we are ignoring yeah. that we aren't serving bi men yeah. at all in the slightest. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it doesn't just have implications for the individuals; it has implications about how we allocate resources, yeah. um, how we develop our different campaigns, how we develop workshops and help help people out. Mm. You are a very, very eye-opening interview. Mm. Like, I really have learned so much already, and that's one aspect I never thought about. Mm. You can feel sometimes when you deal with NGOs how important money is, mm. because money is the fuel that keeps the engine running. Mm-hmm. But I never thought about that expression, men who have sex with men, and how those men don't have control over that money. Mm. No. No. no, not at all. And you try to get a purse away from a queen, and you're going to have to fight for your life. So I can imagine how difficult that is. I get it all the time. As soon as I see, you know, a service come up that is targeted towards gay and bisexual men, and it says it's for gay and bisexual men, by gay, gay and bisexual men, I'll contact them and I'll say, so it's for us. Have you done? Um, have your facilitators done training on biphobia? Do do your um, do your facilitators understand what bi erasure is? Do they understand understand the lived experience of mm-hmm. bisexuality? No. Okay. Well, you know the bi guys coming in are probably not going to feel too comfortable. Can I ask about levels of knowledge of HIV or HIV transmission or the levels of HIV in uh, the bi community, both like on both spectrums of the gender also? Yeah. So that's that's the other really. Um, really important thing because it's at a it's at a macro level and then also at, at a micro level. So, at a micro level, um, we we talk so much about eliminating HIV stigma, right? Mm-hmm. And HIV stigma is being eliminated amongst the um, amongst the gay men that I have sex with. That, for example, I don't experience very much HIV stigma when I'm having sex with gay men. But as soon as I leave, and that's they make up a fairly small portion of who I actually have sex with. Mm-hmm. Um, my sexuality, if we want to break up sexual or romantic attraction, my sexuality is pretty hetero flexible. Mm-hmm. Mostly women, some men. Um, I'm very bi romantic, equal attraction across genders, um, and so you know I experience HIV stigma because the majority of my partners are not educated on HIV. The women I have sex with are not educated on HIV, whether they're bi or heterosexual. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not serving the bi community because we're not targeting all partners of bi men, um, and that's that's like where we're really letting them down. So you can you can do a big targeted campaign on HIV stigma to men who have sex with men, but that's only hitting the men. 
you're not educating the women, you're not having the really nuanced conversations that um, affect people, whether it's to do with prep, whether it's to do with you because you. I talk about you because you with female partners and they just go, I have no idea what that is. Mm-hmm. I explain what undetectable equals un- untransmittable mean. That, that this language does, doesn't exist. They've never encountered it yeah. in their lives before. Mm-hmm. In the gay community, especially if you're in the inner city or wherever you are, you're more than likely to have encountered it. And so at, a, at, a, at sort of my individual level, um, this lack of, educa- of HIV education affects me the most. And it means I get regular rejection. It means I get direct HIV stigma. It means I get threats. It means I get really, it make, makes me feel really horrible about myself. And there's an easy fix about that, HIV education. And if we actually acknowledged all the partners of biomen and not just the male partners of biomen. It's literally heartbreaking. I have tears coming into my eyes. I feel so guilty. No. Because I think of myself as an elder and a queer person who's very invested in our community. And I've never heard the word biophobia used so much before in my life. And I just feel so guilty about it. Um, your t-shirt as well. Is speaking to me, mm-hmm. yeah. but um, yeah, I'm wearing wearing my bi flag very proudly, my my pink, purple, and blue. And can you describe it for our listeners? Be their eyes. Okay, uh, two uh, two nipples. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one <laughs> big one and one small. One. <laughs> I'm wearing my um a black t-shirt just with a large bi flag on it mm. in the colours of pink, purple, and blue, the uh-huh. stripes. Um, the the blue represents um, attraction to different genders. The per- the pink represents attraction to the same gender, uh, people of the same gender, and the purple um, represents the fluidity of both. Wow. And um, that that's um, uh, thank you for asking because that it represents the definition of bisexuality, mm-hmm. which isn't by gender attraction. We're not attracted to men and women because there's no such thing as just two genders. Yes. We're attracted to people of the same gender and of different genders, yes. which therefore is inclusive of all genders. And mm-hmm. um, what would you like to see? Uh, in a HIV awareness campaign for the bisexual community? Um, you know, represent who we actually are. Show us in all of our diversity, our, our masculinity, our femininity, our mm-hmm. queerness, our non-queerness. Um, show us in, in all of our, you know, all of the different forms that we take. Because we are such a huge community of so many different experiences and we all look different and we act different and do different things, but we're no different to that group of people getting into the bus. We might look completely different, like we've got nothing in common, but we have something very intrinsically in common. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'll be with some of my burliest bi friends at a, at a bar or something, and my gay friends will be like, why are you doing hanging out with him? And I'm like, you know, he's, you know, he's my brother. You need to, mm. like, you need to... Yeah. And they'll, yeah, they'll think he's straight, like, what's the straight guy doing here? And I'm like, how dare you? He's, you know... Um, or I'll be with bi women in a club. They're like, oh, I'm sick of these bi women. I'm like, these, these are queer women. Uh, people telling me to stop making out with a woman. They're like, we don't want straight people here. And I just, go, and I just go, honey. Wow. Honey, am I straight? Sweetie. Oh, <laughs> my God. And like, you know, this argument about like not having women in gay bars because they're a protected space. And I'm like, well, that means you're telling bi men not to come into these spaces because... I don't feel safe with going into a straight bar, right? I'm not going to pick up in a straight bar. Um, I need I need queer Bruce bars Bruce to Bruce. have women, mm-hmm. and then you know that goes back to the camp. Like you know, if we, I would have a dream campaign about HIV, it would be showing by men in all the range of their attraction and allowing our spaces to have all of that attraction. Mm-hmm. And so you're in a polyamorous relationship right now. Yes. How was it um, talking about your HIV status? Obviously, it went well, but why? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, being very openly HIV positive means that those discussions didn't 
didn't have to happen mm-hmm. because they, they already knew that I was HIV positive. Um, but both my partners are HIV negative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for them, it was a, a, a non-issue, uh, just, just a non-issue. It, they, they believe you equals you. There's no fear about that at all. Um, mm-hmm. For my male partner, um, like he went off prep because we, we, we were only having sex with each other at the time. When he wants to have sex with other people, he'll go on prep. But my, my um, undetectable viral load is enough. It's funny because we know you because you are zero. Well, prep isn't. I know. Zero. It's just a little under hundred oh, percent. Can I say something know? brave yet controversial? Yes, do. Oh, someone said. Oh, what, switching. Can from you say something brave yet controversial? <laughs> I think everything this. that you say <laughs> is brave. No, not it's controversial. Someone said <laughs> not controversial. Someone said when I went from prep to you equals you, I just upgraded. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. We always say like we're not endorsing getting HIV, no. but it feels like we are so much in this past five podcast. But I love it. It is. It really is in it terms is. of um, not transmitting on the virus. Exactly. Um, and then for yeah, for my female partner, uh, discussions around prep are far more difficult. It's so hard for her to find a doctor that will even have that discussion with her. Um, also, the, you know, the base knowledge about it, even even with my own education, there's just there are just concerns that she has that that are really hard to address because there's just not that base level. Think about how many years it took to get sort of critical mass amongst gay men on prep. That you know, does it really work? What about my bone? What about my my liver? Or my bone density? Like all this sort of stuff. Like. You know, despite pos people being on the treatment for a long time and the, exactly. the advancement of these current modern treatments that people on PrEP are going on. Yeah. Um, you know, the, these the concerns. And then, you know, with my casual partners, it's just a, it's a whole other story, though. Um, disclosing my HIV status. Here in New South Wales, I don't legally have to disclose my HIV status mm-hmm. unless I'm asked directly. And so I remember that it was sort of a light bulb moment for my girlfriend. Um, we, you know, we'll go to swingers parties. Um, and I said to her, you know, I have to tell people my HIV status if they ask me. And she said, oh, well, that's going to be really difficult. You, you, people yeah. are going to turn you down. Um, and so she said, does that mean we just actually have to completely avoid the HIV conversation? I didn't know there was non-disclosure laws here in New South Wales. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Um, as long as you take um, uh, reasonable precautions to um, avoid HIV transmission, um, you don't have to disclose your HIV status. So would that be condoms, um, you equals you? Those are reasonable precautions. Yeah, of course. But um, but you still have to tell. You can't lie about your HIV status. So if someone asks me, "Am I HIV positive?" I'll have to respond to it. And um, but for my girlfriend, when we were t- talking about how we would disclose my HIV status to other partners, you know, she in her mind it was, "Oh, you because you works like, oh, I'm really open and proud about my HIV status, HIV stigma." You know, in her mind, didn't really affect me. And then when actually real, she actually realized in a real life scenario, "Oh, wait, you're going to get rejected a lot mm-hmm. this weekend." That's when it all sort of hit her, oh, HIV stigma is real. Mm-hmm. And then came the conversations about, you know, I told her, oh, I've got a friend trying to immigrate here. You know, you and I were talking about this. And I'm mm-hmm. like, do you know how difficult it is for people living with HIV to immigrate? Um, she, she was just like, oh, wow. Like, oh, HIV stigma is a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, HIV is still a thing. There's, so, there's such a belief in broader society or even in the queer community that HIV is over, Right. You know, here in New South Wales especially, it's really dangerous because we're so close to eliminating new HIV transmissions, but we're nowhere near eliminating HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, we're nowhere near elim- eliminating HIV stigma. We're, we're, we're nowhere near having um, a good 
health and social outcomes for all people living with HIV, improved quality of life, that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. That's still a long way off, and that's what we need. The fight continues. It does. The fight continues. And um, it's been a very steep learning curve here in Australia in general because, like you said, so many of the HIV services are really well developed and involved, Mm -hmm. and I've been so inspired, and I feel like I've learned a lot to take home, Mm -hmm. especially today, especially today. Um, But what I was thinking about was the importance of language and how, as a non-binary person, for many years I didn't have a word to describe myself. I didn't have pronouns that I felt I could use. And I felt like I was outside of the trans umbrella. Mm -hmm. My best friends were inside under the umbrella, and I was outside getting wet. Wondering wondering what was going on. Can I borrow that umbrella? Because I'm getting rained on. I feel feel like you are being rained (laughs) on. And I was wondering about language. And some of the language you use today, like bi plus and biphobia, a mm. word that I'm just going to use a lot more moving forward mm. because I think that I have perpetrated some biphobia in my time. Yeah. And I, like I, I said, I feel guilty that I didn't understand better before today. And I was wondering what kind of language you think is important to get out there in the community. Yeah, just understanding, using the language that people want to want to use is a really good way, place to start. Yeah. Um, you know, people ask me how, how I identify, and I'm, I'm bi, I'm bisexual. Um, and But then if you want to get, if I'm talking to researchers and we're actually getting to the nitty-gritty of what that actually means, mm-hmm. it's actually things like, oh, well, my romantic attraction looks like this, sexual attraction looks like this, but... You know, over you know, overarching the labels bi for me, uh-huh. but for other uh, other bi plus people or multi gender attracted people, they might be pansexual, and we love our pans. I'm a pan yeah. fan, big pan right. fan. Right. <laughs> right. Um, because you know they get it, they they, they know what they understand. Um, mm-hmm. um, and just avoiding any language that that makes any presumptions about about people. I want spaces that I walk into to be so overwhelmingly um, pro-bi mm-hmm. that anyone else in the room that might witness it will then actually feel that little spark in themselves and actually yeah. feel, you know, oh, actually I want to, you know, I can, I can do that. I can, I can come out. I can be myself. And so can I tell you something really cool that's actually just been happening? Please. Go ahead. So like, so, uh, you know, it's, it's funny watching, watching my friends, you know, even friends that I had for many years, um, how they react to my bisexuality and being bi and, and coming out, especially after years of being gay, you know, you have to be patient, you know, if whether you're um, you're coming out with your um, gender expression, whether you're coming out with your sexuality, you know, it takes patience for to, to let the people around you sort of catch up, right? And um, and so you, you, there's there's a lot of patience with that and you just sort of le- lean people in the right direction. And there's nothing better than when, like, I've got friends who will say, like, um, we'll leave. We'll be leaving a house party, and instead of saying "Come on, gays," they'll say "Come on, gays and buyers," <laughs> and it sort of sounds. It's not condescending at all. Mm-hmm. They are doing. I'm probably the only bi, bi guy that they know, and they're going out of their way, way to use language that is inclusive. I of love it. In a room full of gay men, just saying "Hey, gays and buyers," just making a point that there's at least one of us here. Yeah. But I promise you, there's more. No, I love it, yeah. and I tend to say queer, thinking that like that. That's a big umbrella, and totally. everybody's yeah. in it. But I think I would really be very comfortable to say gays and bi's yeah. because it just seems more progressive yeah. to be honest yeah. and I even have friends being like oh there's a really great party on the weekend there'll be lots of hot guys oh and hot girls as well mm. and I'll watch that I'll watch it tick in their head and it, it's taken them years to get to this point but now they're actually wow. they're actually acknowledging my attraction and I just feel so overwhelmed for them they probably don't even notice they're doing it uh-huh. that it's probably just 
And it just, it makes my day. Speaking of hot <laughs> women, Robbie and I discussed this a little bit yesterday, and both of us, interestingly, have friends who are bi women who are married to men. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they complain about is that their own partner forgets that they're bi, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and doesn't really acknowledge that or give them the opportunity to express that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you come across that as well all the time and i'm just so lucky so my male partner is a gay man and if anyone ever refers to us as a gay couple he will immediately go no we're a same-sex couple yeah my boyfriend's bi and he does he did that on his own volition i didn't teach him to do that i didn't go dance monkey dance he he Uh actually understood how important it is to me to realize that we're not a gay couple and he doesn't refer to us as a gay couple Mm. we're not we're a same-sex couple and it's the same with with, um, with my girlfriend. It's, you know, we're definitely not a straight couple. Um, we're actually a, vi- a bi couple. She's bi as well. Mm-hmm. And um, to, to have that and to have people actually see that, that just brings, bi- that's a really huge part of bi visibility because if every bi person who was in a relationship was defined by the gender of their partner, then you would eliminate most of the bi community mm-hmm. because you'd just be saying, oh, that's a straight couple, that's a gay couple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas we are in these relationships absolutely everywhere and we need to make that visibility really, really clear. I hope everyone at home is taking notes because I... Ah! Yeah, because you know what? We always say in the Passify podcast, especially with people who live major V, how important language is to feel mm-hmm. inclusive um, and to be like person-centered first, right? Because we know what exclusion feels like. So um, yeah, I, I think it's just being like a masterclass in what we need to do as a wider community and in the HIV world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to say thank you, Steve. Thank you so Boris. much. We really, really appreciate it. There'll be people listening that will hopefully recognize them themselves. And um, you know, if you are a bi person that's that's um, wondering about your sexuality, wondering what with if or how to explore it, I just say go and do it. You know, life is not there to sit in the waiting room, it's there to be lived. You can have a joyous life. It's bloody fantastic. Yeah. If you're HIV positive and you're bi, get all the services that you need. It might not be perfect, but you need support and reach out into every possible person that you can because mm-hmm. we, we're we in this together. Yeah. And, and you, you know, I always felt like a weirdo reaching out, but my God, you are going to make someone's day because giving and receiving help is the most important thing. Wow, I am going to have to listen to this recording a few times, you know, and I really am going to make a big effort to do better. Oh, I'm yeah. going to cry again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, can we all have a Thank crying you. circle? Oh, this, is a, this is a love circle. Yes, this we're now holding hands around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with a microphone in the middle of exactly. us. Exactly, we're doing a seance. It's a bit of a seance. Yeah. <laughs> seance. Yes. Well, on that note, everyone, we are going to say goodbye. Uh, this is the end of an episode. Goodbye. Pardon the pun. Yeah. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> bye. Bye, guys. Bye, bye. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Remember to stay positive and stay powerful. Until next time. Bye, bye. Thank you so much for listening to PosVibe Podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen so that you never miss an episode. This season of PosVibe Podcast is recorded in Sydney, Australia, on the land of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people. We wish to acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this beautiful place.